0: FBC podcast featuring conversations exploring the intersection of faith and life. Today's podcast features a conversation with Wilson Latimer, the pastor of Chestnut Grove Baptist Church in Athens, and Frank Granger, the minister of Christian community at First Baptist Church in Athens. Emily Harbin, who is the minister of students and young adults at First Baptist Church in Athens, will be hosting this conversation, which will explore the experience and perspectives of racial injustice.
1: All right, so guys, I thought we would start with just some basic introductions today. Wilson and Frank, I'd love to hear um, where you're originally from, what brought you to Athens, how long have you been here, and what kind of things have you done at your church? Wilson, we'll start with you.
2: Well, thank you, Emily. Uh, I am not a native Athenian. Uh, I came to Athens. 1984. Okay. Um, I am married to Linda, and uh, we are uh, parents of three children. Uh, I'm glad to say that they are uh, on their own, independent. (laughs) I have two sons and a daughter. Uh, My son is transitioning from California back to Georgia, Atlanta. Uh, His sister Iris uh, the youngest child but she wouldn't like to be thought of as a child but she's a uh, that's the way I think of her she's a uh, she's an education uh in the DeKalb county uh, area and my son kelvin who lives in winder georgia and is a part of Chestnut Grove uh after coming to Athens in, in 1984 i i was not in ministry at the time uh i was in faith but not not in, <laughs> in ministry I actually uh, came to know Christ uh, early in my life uh, as a teenager, Uh, and uh, I came to Athens uh, to to work at St. Mary's Hospital. Uh, They were looking for a hospital social work director, and so uh, I was blessed to come into that role, and I worked at St. Mary's for a total of 20 years, eight years as a hospital social work director, and then 12 years as a nursing home administrator. I uh, accepted calling the ministry in 1994, and uh, did my initial sermon. then, and I was called to Pastor Chestnut Grove Baptist Church uh, in May of 1996. If my math is right, uh, I've been I've been at Chestnut Grove for 24 years, <laughs> uh, and uh, it's been fun. Uh, I have. Uh, after coming to Chestnut Grove, I had to re-educate myself. I went to Luther Rice Seminary uh, in Atlanta, LaTonia, and I have a Master's in Divinity and a Doctorate in Ministry to somewhat prepare me for for the work. Uh, so that's a little bit about me. Uh, anything in particular I left out? Uh, I'm happy to share.
1: I think. where did you come? You said you came to Athens in 1984. Where were you before that? I was
2: in Columbia, South Carolina. Okay. Yeah, right. I was working at Richland Memorial Hospital as a supervisor in the social work department. And uh, so I moved here from Columbia. My uh, home is really uh, Phoenix City, Alabama, where I grew up. And uh, Columbus, Georgia is right around the river, yep. across the river. And my birthplace is uh, just a few miles from Columbus at Fort Benny. Okay. My dad mm. was in the army
1: Well, Frank has some experience with South Carolina, too. I'm sure he'll tell us a little bit about that, but Frank, go ahead and introduce yourself.
0: Yes, South Carolina is my native state. I was born and raised in Greenville, South Carolina, uh, and went to Furman University there for college as well, so I didn't move away from Greenville until I went to seminary. I went to Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, uh, spent... uh, Let's see, how did I do that? I did um, three years of seminary and four years, okay. and then had one more year <laughs> while I was looking for a job. So, ended up living there for five years, okay. and uh, really enjoyed it, got well-rooted. Moved from there to back to South Carolina, to a church called Trinity Baptist Church in Seneca, okay. uh, which is not very far from here at all, uh, and it's across the river from Clemson University. So, if I had locate that a little bit. And then in 1989, I moved to Athens, Georgia to come here and work at First Baptist Church. And so for 31 years, this October, I've been here in this congregation Mm -hmm. uh, doing a variety of things, (laughs) uh, quite literally. (laughs) Uh, But my my job was in education. Uh, I'm an educator here in the church. Um, I worked a good bit with children. Uh, as well as all other aspects in my earlier years. And now focus mainly in uh, general education. I do a little bit of administration and uh, work with adults.
1: Good, good. good. So I wonder, how do you two know each other?
0: Well, a couple of, what I guess it was three years ago, our congregations um, with our then-pastor, Paul Baxley. Uh, Paul and Wilson struck up a relationship and um, brought our congregation some possibilities and ideas of some things we could do together. Yeah. And, uh, and so that's, that's how our paths really formally crossed yeah. uh, in beginning to do some things together as a church. And then when Paul uh, left uh, to become the executive director uh, a coordinator of the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, um, I met with Wilson a lot more often. <laughs> yeah, got to know yeah. him, and we've had a good time. Uh,
1: so Wilson, I came here to First Baptist about three years, well, yeah, three years ago, around the same time that our partnership was starting. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about the backstory to that. How did those conversations unfold with you and Paul, and how did y'all move into this?
2: Well, we uh, <coughs> we had a common vision. There to be uh, multiple interrelationships between uh, ethnic groups, uh, in particular black and white churches, and uh, I feel like uh, sometimes we, we live uh, in the same cities, but we never get to know each other, uh, and particularly thought important in terms of the Christian community, uh, that there's still segregation in, in Athens. And, and it's really uh, among churches and Christians as well. Uh, it's been said that uh, the 11 o'clock is the most segregated hour uh, in America. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's not a legacy that uh, Paul and I thought that we want Athens to be. And so uh, we want it to be different. Uh, I think there are churches uh, across racial lines that – but most of the time, it's, you know, we've decided that we'll sh- we will swap pulpits uh, once a year. And uh, for most, that's have been sort of the uh, relationship that many uh, cross-cultural churches have. But uh, Paul and I was looking for something different. Uh, we wanted uh, to increase the interaction so we really got to know each other better. And so we engaged upon uh, praying together, uh, and that's really how we started, and we basically increased that to some limited study in addition to the cross-cultural uh, uh, fellowship and worship. Uh, but the main uh, emphasis has been on just kind of getting to know each other and, and just sharing uh, life experiences and sharing even church experiences. And, uh, you know, I think we are both, uh, both congregations are better off that. Uh, So it's really been a positive experience. I'm so glad that it it lived uh, beyond Paul because what we were looking for is the church experience and so should I ever leave Chestnut Grove and uh, you know then whoever the pastor is I pray that they would continue the fellowship uh, with First Baptist.
1: Thanks. Um, We'll come back to our partnership because I think it's really important Um, and I do think we do have a good foundation, and I think there's some growth that can happen there as well. Um, But I wanted to kind of dig back into your stories a little bit. We've done some introductions, but I'm curious to know as we think about this conversation around racial injustice, um, for both of you, what are some of your earliest memories or times, if you can dig deep? back into your story bank when you remember experiencing or first becoming aware of racial injustice in our country?
0: You know, I I really grew up in a bubble in Berea right outside of Greenville. It's all in Greenville County, but Berea was a little farming community. Uh, it's in the northern part of Greenville County, uh, close to Furman University in that section. Uh, but, you know, In my early childhood, uh, it was mostly a white community, even though it was still a farming community. It wasn't a suburb. Um, And so um, I I knew that we had a school where it was all white, and I knew that there were schools across town that were all black, but that's where people lived. And so in my simple mind, I didn't think much about that um, until I was about 10 in the fifth grade. Um, because in Greenville County uh, in that time period was uh, when the schools were integrated. Uh, So that was a first real up-close and personal recognition that there are some things that were different, and then I paid a little more attention to conversations Mm -hmm. uh, that were going on. Um, You know, I've had an experience I've shared several times. I don't think I've ever really told Wilson of when I was about 16 and had learned to drive mm. uh, and <laughs> had to take my granddad to go get lunch, mm. you know, because he wasn't driving anymore. And, you know, he was born in 1890. Mm. So he had a whole different worldview wow. perspective. Mm. And we went to the KFC because that's what he wanted to have for some lunch. And there was a young, I would imagine she was teenage uh at the cash register, uh, who was African American, mm-hmm. and you know, took his order, you know, and made change. I mean, took his money because paid in cash, mm-hmm. <laughs> of course. And she made change, and she counted change back like you know you used to be taught, mm-hmm. where you kind of start with how much you were given and count it back, or count it up from what you paid. And he made he kind of turned to me and made a comment. Um, that I've not ever really been able to kind of get out of my mind mm. saying that that's pretty smart for a mm. and you know he used racial slur yeah and it 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 was a recognition of realizing that I knew that was racial I knew that was wrong mm. and I I remember still it just feeling and wondering how did how did that come across to her, mm. um, and I didn't really know what else to do with it, yeah. you know, at sixteen. Yeah. Uh, but it, it it's a time where it stands out for me very vividly mm-hmm. uh, about injustice and difference, where it's not really fair. That's another one of those times. I have a few more, you know, yeah. along the way where it it's kind of crystallized and be, you know become deeper. And particularly in the last what eight months, yeah. it's even increased that much more.
1: Yeah.
0: So Wilson, what about you? Well, I uh, I grew up in,
2: um, Tri City. Mm-hmm. Um, grew up in Phoenix, City, Alabama the river from Columbus, Georgia. I was actually born um, in Fort Bennett, so in that area. But my childhood, really, to my early adulthood, was spent in Phoenix City, Phoenix City being a city of about 28,000. But I actually kind of lived in a small area. Most of the uh, Afro-Americans in Phoenix City lived... South Phoenix City. Uh, I happened to live in North Phoenix City, and there was a pocket, just a small community. There were maybe five streets in that community. Uh, in that community, we had two small corner stores. Uh, you know, the preacher who owned the grocery store actually was the barber. My barber, I remember cutting my hair, came to be a prominent pastor in Columbus, and. His son actually now pastors that church, but Reverend Flakes were, were a, he owned a grocery store, and then Miss Robinson, who stayed from in Columbus, but owned a grocery store on the corner street. Well, it was I didn't recognize it as being poverty uh, that we lived in uh, because it's just the way we lived. But the house that I lived in was uh, with my grandparents. They were the initial owners of the house, and so. It one time there were two generations within the household there. But at the our school was also on those within those four streets a little area. And uh, it had two rooms. No inside uh, facilities. Uh, in fact, our home didn't have inside facilities. Uh, we, so we had a, an outhouse, if, if you can relate to an outhouse. So we had an outhouse. And I tell people now, you know, I, I hate it. I hate it winter because uh, you had to go to the outhouse in the winter. And uh, it was unpleasant in the house. If, if, uh, you know. so, so that, that was so you get a feel for what the community was like. So, so everybody in community was like, like family. We seems like everybody was my cousin. Uh, and so, it, despite the economic conditions, it was it was a nurturing community. Uh, and, but strangely, right around us was white communities on every side. Uh, in fact, uh, my my dad my dad was in the military, and after he got out of the military, he especially was cooking. And so he would work out at Fort Benning. And my mom, uh job that I first remember as a child, that she was a maid. And uh, so she literally would walk from our house through the path. Uh, so that was, she could walk through the woods to the place where she worked. And so she worked for several families growing up. And so that's what I remember about growing up until maybe I was in the fifth grade, fourth, fifth grade. They condemned the school that we were, that I was attending, and uh, as being substandard, and so we had to go to another school where there were better facilities, uh, but it wasn't quite like the two-room school uh, with a pot-belly stove in it. And so, uh, but so, but in folks' mind, that was an improvement. And I guess if you look at it from hygiene and sanitation, perhaps it was. Uh, so then I started there in a larger school with more Afro-Americans that were still segregated schools. And maybe f- three years after that, there was an integration of school. There was yeah, freedom of choice. Uh, and so my mom uh, elected for us to go to be integrated. And so we actually could walk to the school that, that was integrated. And there were many experiences that were unpleasant between Blacks and whites in that school, and so that that I remember. And so I graduated. I graduated high school in an integrated setting, um, and then uh, because I didn't plan, I would, I don't know if the expectations for me to, was to go to college or not. But by the grace of God, I, you know, the summer that I graduated, I applied for school, and by the grace of God, I got into school. <laughs> and I went to an all-black school, about 1,200 students in Fairfield, Alabama, right outside of Birmingham, Alabama, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, did well. Uh, worked my way through with some grants and such, and, and then I graduated, came back to Phoenix City, and was disappointed because there were no job. Mm-hmm. Uh, favor of God's been on my life pretty much all of my life, uh, but... He, the year when I was really about to be depressed, clinically depressed, <laughs> that uh, one of my professors from college called and says, I've got I got a scholarship for you. And it was to the University of Tennessee. Uh, and so I applied to graduate school, got into graduate school, and you know, so life, that's how I acquired the master's in, in social work and, and such as that. But culture shop, going from a school much afro-americans in fact i was did fairly well i was actually vice president of the student body and and so forth and then i go to the university of tennessee from 1200 <laughs> to about uh, 32,000 students the student who came after me uh, that was a partnership between the university of tennessee school of social work and school of social work at miles college where i had gone but the student who came after me, she was riding down the street in the middle of the University of Tennessee, and uh, she noticed that they had this huge aquatic center that you could, you could see. It's like you know, we hadn't seen such in, in, in her upbringing, neither had I. It's like, is that fish jumping in the water? <laughs> <That> was <literally laughs> Anyway, it's just that kind of culture shock. But early on, early on in my life, I I know there were differences in terms of, you know, whether things being equal or not. And it's interesting enough when people think about police brutality. um, There were several people in our on those four streets that I grew up in that they were we call them bootleggers. Hmm. They sold moonshine. (laughs) Homebrew. I don't know if you know, <laughs> but 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 occasionally, and I can remember there were two white police officers, and who was known to be the police who would raid homes. Oh, wow. I can I can. It's it's amazing today, at my age, that I can remember their names. Oh. I can't remember some of my cousin's names, but I remember Big Bill and Johnson. Mm. <laughs> Big, they were the they were the police officers who had the task of raiding blacks' homes, uh, primarily looking for, I guess, illegal uh, sale of alcohol. But I, I was thinking in these recent recent months and year or so, when we talk about police brutality, I can remember people thinking them having canes. And, just how they raided the homes, kind of thing. In fact, you kind of grew up with a fear of police officers uh, because of that, and, and it kind of st- stuck with you yeah. all of your life, kind of thing, until you realized that police officers are or normal people who have. And, and again, not all police officers are bad folk, and who have the task of raiding and doing things uncomfortable. So.
0: Yeah. Uh, I find that those things that we experienced in those early elementary, early teen years, they get kind of deep in, mm. and because I've noticed before, you know, impulse reactions mm. when things came my way, and then cognitively recognize, you know, Frank, that's really not the way you need to react. Yeah. But uh, whether it is an impulse out of fear because I was really taught to fear yeah. African Americans yeah. Um, and some of the fear I think was just because people were were different period yeah. Yeah. Um, I didn't know their background yeah. uh, but those things get so deeply embedded yeah. that it, it's not as if I'm controlling and wanting to behave that way but it just happens yeah. well uh, you mentioned that I was thinking of when I uh, having been somewhat sheltered uh, in
2: terms of my upbringing, Uh, and having, having again, gone from uh, somewhat integrated high school, but I went to a black school. Uh, And then I went to the University of Tennessee and uh, in the School of Social Work, where there were about 50 students. And my internship happened to be with uh, a young white woman. And uh, so because of our work and being school, I remember the first time she was close, and she was just one of these kind of affectionate people, and she touched me. And I can remember today how I jumped. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> like <laughs> it's just like, it just wasn't right about my reaction to that. But yeah. somewhere it was ingrained in me. That's a no-no. Don't you get close to white women. Uh, and so I thought, gee whiz, and so being social workers, we could talk our way through it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so, you know, you, as you think about how, how, but again, I think even in Athens today, uh, I would submit to you that that's probably still those folks who just never really cultivate relationships but react to people based upon what they have heard. And so I think that's sort of the value in what we are attempting to do between the two churches so that you see folk and that you talk and you hear. One uh, of the beauties of us getting together when, when Paul would share or Frank would share about people in their body who are going through various things, or sort of the identical kinds of things that... Folk at Chestnut like Grove are going through as well, yeah. and uh, so it's uh, it's kind of interesting because we have over the years, over twenty four years, in terms of want us to be open to to anybody that God would send. Mm-hmm. I want us to be the church and to receive anybody that God would send. But but there's a notice we have right now. Probably two active Anglo's at at. Chestnut Grove, uh, and you know they stand out. You know, as I stood out <laughs> and at St. Mary's. You know, if I go back and say, you know, I came to St. Mary's, and but you know, in terms of department head, I was a department head as a director of social work and as administrator. But it was pretty crystal clear of forty department heads. I was like one or two, uh, four at the most at any. I was there. Uh, interesting enough, the hospital administrator, now the CEO of St. Mary's, is Afro-American. Uh, so it's it's you know some changes have happened. It's happened slowly, but I can only imagine though what it must feel like to be working in that space. Yeah. Uh, and so anyway, yeah.
1: well, I appreciate y'all sharing out of your own experiences. I think. Um, Over the last several months i have been reflecting so much on in my own life how um it seems like progress is being made some days and other days you think we're (laughs) riding the same storm we've been riding for a long time um and so i appreciate y'all talking from your own experiences and and see and noting the progress um, but also acknowledging you know there's a lot of work to be done Um, And just the fact that we're sitting here together having a conversation (laughs) is a signal of progress, um, as is our church partnership, which is where I want to head next in our conversation. Um, You know, we have done some Bible study together and some prayer groups. Um, We've shared several meals, and we've done pulpit swaps. But what are y'all's... Hopes and dreams. I mean, what do you see long term as far as our partnership? What would you like for our two congregations to do together?
2: You know what I think uh, it's think about the younger younger people. Think about uh, I don't know what what their experience is like today. Um mm-hmm. uh, because I spend most of my time with adults, so part of it is just the way I live my life. But, and I don't know what they hear at home. Uh, I don't know what perspective is. Frank talked about his grandpa. Yeah. You know, I don't know what, what grandpas and, and, and parents are sharing their children are their substance conversations about race and history uh, in in our homes today uh, and uh, people are being educated in at home uh, and what is being taught in schools uh, because again as I look at the environment of today and the political climate of our world today uh, when some of the rhetoric is around people feel like if if there are programs that help, uh, brown and black people it is taken away from, from us uh, and so I think that builds up animosity and particularly if you don't understand the nature and why that happened uh, so that's my, my my what I like to have happen is for some interaction with between the younger generation uh, I think the uh, The older generation, I think we are, having lived and have grown spiritually, we are open and receptive to. I'm just not certain that it's happening within. It's more of a question than anything else. I'd like to think so, uh, but if there are superficial relationships and people are led to guess about it or they are depending upon rhetoric from TV uh, so I like I like to see us at some way uh, help to bring the younger people together
1: yeah yeah I um, I often sit in our sanctuary on Sunday mornings and as a minister with working with young people at our church, this is the whitest place they go during the week. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, and like you said, the 11 o'clock hour is the most segregated in America. Um, I don't know if that's the experience of your youth at your church, but I do think, you know, at school it's not this way. It's not this way on their athletic teams. (laughs) Um, So I definitely think it's important um, in in an area we can.
2: Yeah, I think they see each other. Yeah. I, but I don't know. I don't know how much, you know. I can think back when I was uh, in integrated high school, and there were integrated um, uh, athletic programs. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the the uh, football team that I played on, and and such. But in terms of, then you, you then you leave and you go back to your segregated. Right. And and to. To go there is really not necessarily bad, uh, but if you're open to have and you're sharing the difference, it's somehow we seem to have this idea that my world is better than your world. I'd rather think of it as different. And to be exposed to difference is enriching. And so if that's the message that we could have, uh, and that our children will have because otherwise they'll go off to school. and if they go to integrated settings that they will have the kind of reaction that I had when I was exposed to you know, someone closely from, from the uh, different race. Kind of right. so.
1: Yeah. Uh, um, not just to coexist in the same space, yeah. but to cultivate actual real rela- authentic relationships.
0: Yeah, there are, I, I think those intergenerational experiences and in particularly sharing of stories yeah. within our congregations, when you talk about your childhood yeah. and what you experienced, where you went to school, that's something I never knew. Yeah, uh, But it is so powerful to hear a person's story. Yeah. And I, I think that if that would be something to add to our gathering together is some intentional storytelling about our lives and and what we've experienced. The other thing that I would like to see grow out of our relationship is uh, some side-by-side work in the community. You know, if there whether it's a mission project that we choose or something that's Ongoing. I know we share it. We share our time with family promise. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But we each kind of take our days, you know, just to divide and conquer. (laughs) There's a practical aspect to that. Uh, But I, I think if we had some specific things that we could literally do side by side, because when I just know from being on any kind of mission trip. Yeah. That I get to know someone in a way that builds a more deep, lasting relationship. Yeah. Uh, we laugh together, we eat together, yeah. we sweat together, yeah. um, and you know, and we're we learn one another's skills yeah. that we didn't know the other had, and I think those become an additional way in which we build a real strong foundation in our ongoing relationships as a church and maybe it is a little bit of an outward witness to the community. Yeah. That well that that different people can have a commonality in Christ and work together. I think you absolutely
2: right and I'd like to see see the same and, and sometimes I think those uh, you know, we can have like a, a planned conversation or working together and the conversation happens. And and that may be uh, one of the approaches that we take in bringing younger people together. Uh, and again, I, when I think about even our church in terms of just youth in general, uh, I need to engage them more in ministry, uh, in outreach. And so I think we can I would be interested in us talking about what we can do locally and what we can do maybe even internationally. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the things that my life was so enriched by in terms of a mission trip, one of my professors, the white professors at uh, at Luther Rice, and and really, uh, although I grew up in church, been in church all of my life, mission have not been, international mission have not been, a big part of what I had been exposed to, and so uh, during my years at Luther Rice, one of the professors and I went to uh, Jamaica uh, on a mission trip, and man, that I will forever and always remember. Uh, man, he was so he's so gifted in in sharing. You know that that was sort of some difference in, in our spiritual gifts, but just being together. Uh, those ten days, man, I was just so blessed. You know, his his motive was that you know I would maybe take over that ministry. He says going to be with the Lord, but I know my gifts. <laughs> but, but we shared. We stayed in in one of the natives' homes in Jamaica. Uh, we had uh, shared a room with bunk beds. He had his and I had mine. and but. Just that, just that time uh, was. I, I will forever and always remember that. And and after that experience, we had uh, we sent uh, a dozen folks to Jamaica to do Vacation Bible School uh, that summer and uh, the summer following our time there. So I think that could be that could be a life-changing experience for our young people. Yeah.
1: yeah. I love the idea of um getting away from all of this yeah. too. I think some especially um when you're thinking about developing young people's minds even when we get together here in Athens there's so much expectation on how we're supposed to behave around each other. <laughs> yeah. That yeah. if you can get people out of that, yeah, and into just a totally different environment.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. It,
1: it can help to bring people together.
0: Yeah, because that's always been the benefit of whether it's a, a, a domestic yeah. United States kind of a mission trip mm-hmm. or yeah. international yeah. when you get in a place where you haven't lived yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah. and see people that live differently from you, but also people who have and share some of the same things you do. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah that, that would be
2: just a, an awesome way, I think, to engage, and, and again, I think in terms of adult supervision, but away from parents, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know <laughs> what would <what laughs> make make a difference? I, well, I was thinking just for a moment about my daughter who went to the University of North Carolina, and uh, you know, some of her experience cross cultural uh, experiences, and really, I know she had been enriched by them. Uh, but, you know, even in education now where she's working, uh, mostly now it's, you know, in impoverished Afro-American communities and in terms of, you know, cross-cultural experiences, they are diminishing uh, for her. You know, I think the early ones helped her, but but I think if there's some way that she can be continually uh, engaged, I think it will it will help and strengthen her, her life. So, so I mean I think there is the possibilities are, are great that we we can continue. Uh, we we we'll pray uh, that uh, we get relief from COVID, and uh, we can uh, God will use us to, to uh, you know work together. And uh, you know I think just the experience itself. You know there's there's those those persons who attend. You know. Uh, uh, congregations uh, where they are multiracial, and I applaud them, you know. And I, you know, I, but I don't think that's the only approach, right? You know, I think you can maintain First Baptist. I can, we can maintain Chestnut Grove, and but we have substantive interaction. Yeah, uh, so I, I mean, I think that's the thing. And the things that you, things that I, I remember when when your youth choir came to Chestnut Grove, and just their approach to presenting music and, and the style different from Chestnut Grove, but but I was so glad our children could could see it. Mm-hmm. You know in this, You know, you have to, we want to be comfortable, you know, we want to wear our jeans, and we want to wear our t-shirt, right? It's all right to dress up sometimes, you know, so I'd like to see both, you know what I mean, yeah, and so yeah. I'd like, you know, your children come and say, well, you know, that's kind of cool, you know, they got t-shirts with a cross on it, you know, so, so those are the kinds of things that I think you get yeah. when you share. Yeah, right. You know? Really do. You may not have a dance ministry, yeah, you know, but. Uh, Dancing, I've had my years where I thought, dancing at church? (laughs) 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 But David danced, right? He did, yeah.
1: (laughs) Miriam, too. That's right. (laughs) Well, what do I'm curious to know, you know, this year has been (laughs) a tornado and a hurricane, and I've heard people say a dumpster fire (laughs) of a year. What are some things that are giving you hope um, as we look forward, either just in general or specific to this conversation of of racial justice and that work, the
2: ongoing work? I think the stimulation of conversation. And for for people who are Christian and and, uh, of of goodwill, uh, that people see it. As an opportunity, and if you watch closely, uh, even even if we look back in history, and when we look at the civil rights movement, that it was multiracial, uh, and so when people get together, coalesce around what what is right, uh, and so th- that has happened. It is happening now. Uh, so I'm hopeful, uh, even in these climates, but. It has taken, you know, the George Floyd's, to people who just decent people say that's wrong. I don't care what color it is, yeah. uh. And and it being that way, and so when people see see it several times, they're moved. You know, the spirit of God moves you to say this is not right, and I, I need to speak up. I need to be on this side of right and so I'm hopeful because that's what's happening when people talk about I, you know this problem not the place to talk about politics, but when people say, you know uh we we let's forget about the parties for a minute right <laughs> you know what's yeah. what's right and people decide and I think people are deciding to vote based upon what. Is perceived to be right by the Word of God, yeah. and that's hopeful to me.
0: Yeah. So on the on the simple side, I, I see everything from uh, weddings and the way we do things at church, where we've reevaluated and learned that it's okay to do things simply. And and it's not just about doing things simply, but I think we've been encouraged to look deeper at what is the real value here in what we're doing. Yeah. Um, I know we've talked about that here at church that w- we've looked at things that we do, yeah. and it's given us it's given us a chance to reevaluate. Mm-hmm. Um, so in in one way, uh, in an area that's totally separate from racial injustice and some of, and some of these other things I think that's one area where I'm hopeful uh, is to rethink how we how we approach a lot of things in life and look for its real core value how do we emphasize that and with uh, racial injustice where I'm hopeful it, I think is similar uh, we've raised a level of conversation and consciousness, I think it's given us an opportunity to see that where we thought a lot of inroads had been made decades ago yeah. is that while those were valuable and important, um, there is still a very long way to go. There's a lot of deep-seated, yeah. multi-generational, multi-decade issues yeah. that still need our attention. Yeah. And, and, and so where that's raised in our consciousness That's made me hopeful. Is that maybe this time more progress can be made?
2: You know, I was thinking as you—that makes you hopeful—and I'm thinking, you know, I spent a moment in sort of sadness, sad around the fact that I thought we were further along. (laughs) You (laughs) know, it's like. I weep, that you know we steer here mm. in places. Yeah. Uh, but I don't stay there long. Uh, but but for a moment, my wife helps me to feel <laughs> <laughs> and to express my feelings, and so I feel like I'm better when I acknowledge it. Yeah, I am. That that saddens me.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, but then how can I move from the sadness I feel to making an impact. Uh, because again, I think, and I see it visibly, I think, around sort of the political climate is what sads me because of, and I don't even know, but I think in just in terms of what motivates people, I think it's some of the unexpressed emotions. Uh, and resentment that people have felt for years. Uh, I and, and just never expressed it. I liken it to uh, when I was at the last church before I uh, went to uh, Chestnut Grove uh, and I was I was on the impression that you know the church was thriving, members were being added. TV ministry, man, it was just, and the pastor died, and the members had this feeling, we want our church back, and they rose up, and I thought, like, wow, I was just, I was caught up in the fact that, man, I'm just growing spiritual, and I'm just grinning all the time, and I <laughs> thought, you know, I, but I was naive to the fact that that was something else buried about even, it was just what I needed mm-hmm. in, in my walk, but for them, it was more important for them to have their church, and that's kind of, I like that to America now. There are people who, they look back, and it's, some of it is a reaction to eight years of Obama. Mm-hmm. A black man was president of these United States, yeah. and there's this feeling like never again. Yeah, we want our country back, and that saddens me. Yeah, it's our country, yeah. all of you know. But it, but it's sad. But they couldn't. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. I, but I think that's part of what I feel
0: in the environment now. Yeah. I, I wish you were wrong. <laughs> I tend to agree with you. Though. I, I really I really think you've uh, hit on something that's very important for us to pay attention to.
1: Today, and for so many days of this pandemic season and the 400 year pandemic yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. in this country, shifting sands beneath our feet um, are signs of hope. Yeah, uh, yeah. But also some grief. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah. I think we're yeah. kind of being called to hold all that intention. But yeah. 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 All right. Well, thank you all so much for joining us today and having this conversation. Just, Wilson, thank you for coming over here and being willing to sit with us. And um, I look forward and am hopeful and energized by this conversation and yeah. look forward to seeing the good work that our churches continue to do together. Thank you.
0: Great job. Yep. Enjoyed it. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Open to Explore, the FPC Athens podcast featuring conversations at the intersection of faith and life. Coming in December is a daily podcast featuring devotions for Advent.